How great is our God, the incomparable Christ. Amen? You may be seated. I'm going to be reading from the book of Hebrews, but before I do, I just want to point out that song ties so beautifully to the book of Hebrews. For context, the beginning of Hebrews is talking about Christ, the greater priest, the greater high priest than Melchizedek. There's so much there to unpack. But then he begins in verse chapter 10, verse 19. He says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the greater high priest than Melchizedek, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith. I'm going to repeat that. Let us draw near. God doesn't want us far. He wants us close. Amen? Let's draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. Amen? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day nearing. Let us pray. Father God, we long for the day of your return. Lord, we lift our hearts and our minds to you. Let us transition our time of lifting our voices of how great our God is to the proclamation of your word declaring how great you are. Open our hearts and minds to receive that which the Holy Spirit has prepared for our hearts through your faithful servant, Matt. Lord, I pray that as we in, in listen to these words, as, as you move on our hearts, Lord, that we would keep a mind open to hearing and a life change from you. Thank you. For all that you have done for us this far, Lord, I pray that you would be faithful and true like your word says and take us even further. It's in Jesus' name we pray. There's something I want to say that I don't say very often. Those are three words that I don't particularly like. And that was, I was wrong. I was wrong. Don't tell Christy I said it, but you can mark it in your calendars. This will be probably the last time you hear me say it for a while. But uh, last week, we talked about our why series. And in that why series, we talked about why we give. Why we give. Why do we give our time and talents in serving one another and serving our congregation? Why do we give of our finances to the work to further God's kingdom? Why do we give our testimony to others in evangelism and discipleship? And why do we give our temple, our very selves, to God? And the answer was, it's all His anyway. That's why we give. Because it's all His anyway. It's for His glory, so we give. Now, the reason why I say I was wrong is because last week, I thought that would be the most difficult 
of the sermons in this Why series. Why do we do what we do? The reason why I figured out I was wrong because as I studied this week and I put things together from this week and really tied them together with everything that's happened over the last three years, I figured out last week was not the most difficult and challenging one that we're going to talk about in this series. Because today, we're going to talk about why connect. Why connection? And really, the two go hand in hand of why give and why connect. But we need to even take that why connect one step further and say, why should we be involved in a biblical community? Why should we be involved in a biblical community? You heard Pastor Booth read the passage up front that said from the the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and within that passage, there are two verses that were used a lot. And they're used a lot to try and convince people to go to church, to be a part of the Sunday morning gathering. And in those two verses... There are two verses I want to read to you again this morning, and they say this in Hebrews chapter twenty, or sorry, chapter ten, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. And let us consider one another, in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, as I read those words from the Hebrew author. Some of you may have had some emotion stirred up inside of you. I I, I won't go so far to say the word trigger that we have a tendency to hear even in today's culture, but some emotions stirred up inside of you and you had an instant response to maybe verse 25 in particular where it said, and not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Your response might have been one of two things. On one hand, you said, see, right there's where it says you have to go to church. And then on the other hand is, no, 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 you don't understand. And then we lay out whatever loophole that we have there on why we don't gather together with the church. Even as I say it out loud, you might be, might be able to see why this one's more of a challenge. The why connect. The why be involved in a biblical community. Because over the last three years, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's a thing called the pandemic. And the pandemic created just a bit of a mess with society. And more so than just society, it created a bigger mess, I believe, in the church. I believe it created a bigger mess in the church. A few weeks ago, I was actually sitting with a, with a pastor friend of mine. We were talking about the effects of the pandemic, both on on culture, but more specifically on the church culture. And as we talked, I have all different sorts of thoughts about the way this is. And he gave me a sentence that kind of summarized all of it all at once. And I think he nailed it when he said it. Let me tell you what he said. He said these words, the pandemic gave everyone permission to only think about themselves for the rest of their lives. And... As difficult of a pill as that is to swallow, when you stop and think about it, he wasn't and isn't wrong. If we're being honest, people have always been selfish. But the pandemic exposed it. It exposed it and it allowed them and gave them permission to be so openly. And speaking of the pandemic, there's so many words, like I use the word trigger or or the the words of of even this idea of selfishness that, that we 
think of when the pandemic comes up, but did you know there was an article written by dictionary.com that actually listed eight phrases that nobody ever wants to hear again that came out of the pandemic? You know what number one was? The new normal. The new normal. Nobody even knows what that means. Unprecedented was another word that was used over and over again. Uncertain, the word essential. Essential. Who's essential, who's not? These were the questions that began to come, but there were two that kind of went hand in hand, yet they were completely the opposite of each other that fit into today's message that were also on that list. One was social distancing, and the other was we're all in this together. Because how can we be all in this together if we're social distancing? What does that look like? Together but separate. Together but not like-minded. Together but isolated. That is what we saw play itself out. And while you might think that hurt society as a whole, and it did, it really took its effect on the church because the church, made up as individuals of the body of Christ, are designed for community. They are created for a community. As a matter of fact, all of us are created for community. But one of the commentaries I read this week, as I was reading over, it said the first crisis mentioned in the Bible was not the serpent and the fall of man. It actually happened before that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when it said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a person to be alone. Now, I don't know if I would go so far to call that a crisis, but it definitely was the first problem that we saw in the Bible. Man alone. Things were not good. Why? Well, it's because we have been created. You and I have been created for connection, for community. In fact, one of God's primary goals in all of humanity was loving community. You might say, well, where do you deduct that from? Think about the great commandment. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. First, we love God in community with Him. Second, we love others in community with them. We are created in the image of a relational God. Three in one, the Trinity. And in that, we have a loving relationship with Him and with others. And throughout our lives, we understand this. Our lives have been stained by sin. Stained by rebellion. But the image of that relational God is still imprinted on us. And we live that out. And there's an internal struggle here. On one hand, we find ourselves yearning and desiring loving community. But yet, on the other hand, we're also trying to run and hide from it. It's the same picture we see in the garden. After the fall, what does Adam want? He wants relationship with God. Yet, what does he do? He hides. He hides because of his sin and his shame. And we still see that today. Relationship with God, but running and hiding. Even in the church, where loving relationships should be the best chance of thriving, the cultivation of biblical community, the cultivation of of that connection is a challenge. It's, It's a challenge. My guess is it's because it requires effort and sacrifice. And honestly, because it's risky. Why is it risky? When you get close to somebody, you have to be vulnerable. 
You have to share who you are with them. And that is difficult. It's not a place where we really want to be because we don't want to be vulnerable. So I guess the big question for us this morning is this. Is biblical community worth pursuing? And if so, why? And I do want to emphasize the word biblical here. Not just community, but biblical community. Because biblical community is different than our clubs, than our teams, than our workplace, than our school, whatever affiliation you might be connected with. It's different than that. It's also not your social media page. It's also not your online group. Because study after study show this current generation is actually the most digitally connected generation ever, yet they are the highest in loneliness and highest in anxiety as well. Because they're not truly connected. And one more thing I'm going to say that might shock a few of you. Community is not just going to church. It's not just going to church. Yes, the pastor just said it's not just going to church because just attending church, you know, it doesn't matter if it's in person or online. All you're doing is sharing an experience with a group of other people. That is not engagement and biblical community. Now, these things may be good for connection and they may be even fall in the definition of community, but it's not the community that we're first and foremost called to it. And that is biblical community. What is biblical community? Well, biblical community is common life in Christ. It's sharing a common life in Christ. It's doing life together and holding each other accountable to our lives under the authority of Jesus. It's taking next steps together. As we talk about baptism next week, a next step that we take together and celebrate together. Well, guess what the primary way that God designed for us to be in biblical community together is? It is the local church. Now, I said attend church. It's not just attending church, but being a part of the local church. And not the church as the building as where we meet. Jesus did not die for a building. If tomorrow the landlord called me and said, hey, you guys are out, guess what? Paragon Church will still exist. It'll exist in you and I. Because we are the church. The church is the people of God. John Piper actually defines the church this way. He says, a local church is a group of baptized believers who gather regularly to worship God through Jesus Christ to be encouraged and challenged by the word of God, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, all under the guidance of duly appointed leaders. And the pastor put it this way, a local church is a group of baptized believers who join together in a commitment to help each other fulfill God's purposes for the kingdom and for their own lives. See, the church isn't something we just go to. It isn't something that we just attend. It is a family that we belong to. If you're on our email list, I try and start every email with Paragon Faith Family because that is what we are. We are a family. Or as Apostle Paul calls it, he says, the church is the body of Christ. We are the body. As a matter of fact, we'll dive further into Ephesians in just about a month. I'm looking forward. I'm already studying on it. We're going to be doing Ephesians for basically the rest of the school year and into the summer talking about Ephesians but starting off in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 Paul says these words and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way we are 
the body of Christ. We are His church. I truly believe when the church is operating biblically, that we are God's vessel. We are God's instrument. We are God's plan A to share the hope with the world. And guess what? There is no plan B. We are it. We are the when we are operating in the proper biblical way. And I, I have no idea what you think about church. I'm not sure if you're on Facebook or not, but I put it on the Paragon page as well as my own. What comes to mind when you think of church? And I was a little reluctant to do it because I was a little reluctant to read the answers. Because there are some positives and there are some negatives. And the positives were things like community, family, the body and bride of Christ, fellowship, thanks to Kyle Potlucks. He put that. In that positive, there's so much connection there. But on the flip side, there's the negative. And the words like judgmental, exclusive, cliquish, painful, and the place that will hurt you the most. Now, as a pastor, when I see the positives, it excites me. But as a pastor, when I see the negatives, it hurts me. It crushes me that people would see the church in that way. And the reason why they see the church in that way is sometimes when it's not operating biblically, that's the way the church is. And and that's a problem. That's a problem. Because we can gather together with the family and the community and, and, and that but people are pushed away when the church isn't as it's supposed to be. And we, we need to have conversations with those people. Sometimes it's the church's fault. Sometimes it's the, the person's reaction. But we need to have those conversations and, and figure out that why are we putting this blame on God when it really is the people who claim to be following God that are the issue. And we have to look at that and say, why do we even bother? Well, I began to think about the church and how the church originally started and what it's supposed to look like and really to dive into that to look at why we connect why connection why biblical community see when we go back to the beginning when the church first started you can look throughout scripture on why we connect but I think it's seen very clearly at the end of the gospels in the book in the beginning of the book of Acts and really the book of Acts in general where Jesus gives his follower the great commission at the end of the gospel of Matthew he says, go and make disciples and teach them everything that he had commanded. And then at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, hey, I want you to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I, I want you to go. And then Jesus ascends up into heaven. As he ascends up into heaven, his disciples gather together. They begin spending time and praying together. And they're waiting. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and He falls on them at Pentecost and, and they're able to, to share the gospel in multiple languages to multiple people all at the same time as they gathered in Jerusalem. And then Peter preaches a short sermon in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36. And as he preaches that sermon, he has a gospel message attached with repentance. And on that day, as verse 41 tells us, about 30,000, 3,000 people repent and get saved as a result. Well, what happened in an afternoon, basically, is you went from a group of about 120 believers, followers of Christ, to 3,120. Now, I, I don't know 
how I would respond to that leadership. I'm okay with giving a shot. So if you guys feel that necessity to go share the gospel today, God blesses us and we have 3,120 next week, I'll figure it out. But here's the thing. It went from a small group of people to a megachurch that was multi-generational, that was multi-ethnic because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this big change happens, and we see right after verse 41, when all these people come together, the essentials of the church, and I know I use that word essential, the essentials of the church and what it's supposed to look like play out in verse 42. As a matter of fact, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone who had need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Here's the essentials that I see. Verse 42. Let's just look at the words real quick. They. Who is they? The church. The followers of Christ. The believers in Him. What did they do? They devoted. What does it mean to devote? Well, by definition, it says to give over or to direct your time, money, and effort to a cause, enterprise, or activity. I'm going to go back to last week and say they were all in with their five T's. They were all in with their time, treasure, temple, testimony, and, and, and their, you know, their resources. All the things that they had, they were all in on. They were devoted to that. Well, what were they devoted to? First, apostles' teaching. What is the apostles teaching? The Word of God. That was the first thing the early church was focused on was the Word of God. Second thing listed is fellowship. The Greek word is a word that some of you, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you probably know the Greek word because your church had a Sunday school class that was named this. Every Baptist church that I was ever in that had Sunday school had a koinonia class. And the koinonia class meant to share in common or to partner together. The church at that time was focused on partnering together, sharing with each other because they are the body of Christ. As we will get into with Ephesians, different parts of the body do different things and that is how what we see here. None of them could go alone. Last week, I talked about you can't outgive God. One of our other ones is, is I can't do life alone. They realized that. It wasn't just a core value. It was who they were. They realized they couldn't do life alone. That they were truly in this thing together. They were in it together. It's not good for a person to be alone. They knew that. We're connected. We share life together. Well, what do we share? I'm going to keep referencing Ephesians because I've been studying a lot in it already. Ephesians chapter 4. It says we're united in the Spirit. There is one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one God, and Father of us all. We share in a goal. We share in a common destination. But guess what? While we're here, we share in our hurts. We share in our pains. We, we share in our commitment to the gospel. Acts chapter 4, just a couple of chapters after we've just been reading, says that the believers were in one heart and one mind. 
going back to chapter 2, if you look at verse 46. 46 says, Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple. They worshiped together. They shared together. John Wesley actually wrote this. He said, There's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. The rest of verse 46 goes on to say this. And they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Back to 42, it also says they enjoyed breaking of bread. They were in each other's houses. They were connecting, they were eating, they were sharing, they were growing. Part of the reason why we do connection groups the way that we do them. In houses. To connect and to grow and to share and to and even to eat. Because yes, we are a Baptist church. They were devoted. They were devoted. They gave their time for it. They gave their money for it. They, they gave to it. And the generosity that came from it, because of the relationship they had with each other and the relationship they had with God, it overflowed. It said they sold and put all their things in common. That that just that in itself blows my mind. But that is what they did. And they did it for God and for each other. And then it also said they prayed together. In a couple of weeks on February 12th, we're going to talk about why we pray. Why we pray. And I told you it's just coincidence that it's on the day that probably sports fans pray the most. Because it's on the Super Bowl. Why do we pray? A lot of times we think we pray to get God in line with us. But that's not the case. We pray to get our hearts in line with God's. We ask Him to guide us. We ask Him to direct us. And when we are all devoted in prayer, guess what? All of our hearts are in line with His heart. We have one mission. We have one mind. We have one heart. We have one goal. And that is the glory of God. Why is biblical community so important? Why connection? Well, it's because that's what we're designed for. And it's been that way since the very beginning. To be on mission for Him. His body working together. We see it in the first church and we see it in our gathering even today. See, biblical community is life on life. You saw that verse up front, Proverbs 27, one that you hear often, especially in men's group. Iron sharpening iron. We are to sharpen each other. Our original definition was Sharing a common life in Christ. See, biblical community moves us beyond self-centeredness. It moves us beyond selfishness, self-isolation, and into a group that is going to challenge us. Into a group that goes beyond just fellowship is the word that we like to use. The biblical ideal of community challenges us to commit ourselves and to give ourselves to life together with the people of God. That is what we are called to do. We all know the maturity takes time. If you have teenagers in your house, you see it every day. Maturity takes time. Growing in Christ also takes time. But the one thing that we, we miss, even though we know it takes time to grow and it know it takes time to mature, we miss that it doesn't just take time to do those things, but it also takes our brothers and sisters in Christ to do those things. It's a process that is revealed in the one another language or the each other language that is found throughout the New Testament. I mean, even as we read Hebrews, it was talking about how we help one another out. 
love one another, forgive one another, regard each other more highly than yourselves, teach and correct each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, build one another up, bear each other's burdens, be friends to one another. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Be generous in hospitality. Serve one another and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's just a, a small list. It just scratches the surface of the one another's. But here's the thing that I found out about one another's. You know what you need for one another's? You need another. You can't do that alone. In order to do one another, you have to have another. Biblical community is a place of continuing conversion with each other. It's the goal that individually and together we should become mature and embody, as Ephesians says, the fullness of Christ. That is our goal. Biblical community is life on life. It's also a way to see Christ in others and to show Christ to others. To see Christ in others and to show life, uh, Christ to others is when we are being like Christ or somebody's being like Christ to us, it changes things. And part of the reason why I know it changes things is because it's not natural. That's not the natural thing that we have in our hearts to be like Christ to somebody else. See, we live in an ugly world. Not that I have to tell you that. I think you all know it. And that ugly world seems to take no mercy. But when biblical community comes together and we are like Christ, one that forgives when I confess one that that lifts me up when I'm down, one that encourages me when discouragement is weighing heavy on me. These, These are things that when I'm broken and they offer healing and they come alongside me in that way, that is like Christ in action. And that is what biblical community is supposed to do. When you see it, when you experience it, you grow from it and you know it's of God because you also know it's not of the world. That's not what they do. So it's a way to see Christ in others and show Christ in others or to others. Biblical community is also a source of accountability and guidance. This might be the hardest part, the most difficult part, because I need to be held accountable. And you need to be held accountable. And sometimes, when necessary, we need to be guided back to the right path. You know who the best salesman in the room to me is? It's myself. I can sell myself on doing anything and I can justify doing anything if I try hard enough. You can do it for you too. So when I'm by myself and I'm alone with my own thoughts, I can think and do things that I know are wrong and if nobody's holding me accountable, I can just keep walking down that path. But when you are in biblical community and you are honest with each other, it's going to change things. See, we live in a mind your own business society or you do you society that's not the way God wants it he wants us to do him be him be about his business and how do we stay on track with that because as that living sacrifice we've talked about with the giving it's easy for us to want to crawl off that altar and say nah not today God or you can only have my Sunday morning from 10 to 11 unless Matt goes a little long and then 11 15 that's what you get and that's it but that, that's not the way it's supposed to be when we're in community that community should be connected enough and be willing to correct me when I'm wrong even if it hurts my feelings and guide me back because I've wandered and do it all in love because that's what Ephesians also says 
We have to be careful not to confuse being corrected with somebody hating us. Biblical community is also a place to deepen our prayer and worship. There's many who confuse a Sunday gathering with biblical community. If you're sitting over here, you're not sharpening the person that's over here. Biblical community is closer. It's connected. Sometimes the Sunday gathering becomes what we might call a spectator sport. We have a few people up on the stage doing all the work, and everybody else just consumes. If you've ever been to our membership class, we say our goal is to move you from a consumer to a contributor. That contribution happens within the biblical community. When we're praying for each other and we're worshiping together, that small group community opens up that opportunity for you to grow in prayer and grow in worship. Biblical community is also a place to serve. Guess what? One another. One another. To serve and be served. To lay down your self-interest and help someone to grow that you care about. That you've grown to care about. And to lay down your pride when you're the one that's in need of help. I understand that. I don't like people having to help me. I like to do it on my own. I don't even know what this statement actually means, but you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't have any idea what that even means, but we all know what it's intending, so I can do this all by myself. That's not the way that God created it. Sometimes you wash feet, and sometimes you're the one being washed. Biblical community is a witness also to the world that Acts 1.8. When the church is operating correctly, it is God's plan. It is God's vessel to take the hope of Jesus to this world. You know what I learned and I saw very clearly over the last three years? People long for connection. People long for unity. Not uniformity, but unity. They long for purpose. They long for something more. Well, guess what biblical community has? All of that. Because it's founded in Jesus and He is all of that. And we bring it together And as we're working together, and as we're operating the way that God would have us to do, we are going to be a bunch of candles, lights, that come together to shine in the darkness, because that is what God has called us to do, to light up a dark world, and people are going to see it, and people are going to ask about it. That is where our witness comes in, and that really leads to a biblical community being the ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes these words starting in verse 16. He says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you see that? We've been given to us. Us as biblical community, not just us as an individual, us as a biblical community, ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. See, we're plan A. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We, plural, are ambassadors for Christ. We are the ambassadors, the biblical community. When I read those negative comments, it hurt. 
it hurt to see people say, this is the church. And I'm like, no, that is a group of people that are not operating within the biblical standards. Or maybe you don't quite understand what the biblical standards are and someone needs to disciple you in that. We are the ambassadors for Christ. We are the ones calling for reconciliation back to God. With all these characteristics of biblical community, the reality is it has to be done in a smaller group. Because you can hide in a large group. You can fake it in a large group. You can stay servicey in a large group. But in biblical community, everything breaks down. You can't distance yourself in a biblical community. I told you up front, this is hard. I told you it's going to require effort. I told you it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require vulnerability. Basically, biblical community is risky. But can I tell you this? It's 100% worth the risk. Because the reward of true biblical community is so much greater. And honestly, there's no greater risk than the one we take to follow Christ anyway. So let's just keep jumping in that risky boat. God, from the very beginning, never intended that we should go through this life journey alone. He wants us to one another with another. He wants us to grow in Christ. He wants us to grow with Christ. He wants us to experience Christ together and then he wants us to share because through it all we know none of this stuff is of ourselves it's a gift from god and he gets the glory from it all and that is why we do what we do that is why we connect let's pray together father thank you for who you are and thank you for your example of those first believers who followed a basic model of being in your word, of growing together, of breaking bread together, of praying together. To grow stronger because I couldn't do it alone. They were facing a world that had never even heard of Christianity. They were facing a world that, that knew nothing of the goodness of God. It had all become so ritual that God, they needed your strength and your people to carry through, to take a message to a world that was in desperate need. God, today's not that much different. We're in a world that studies keep showing over and over again that people don't have any thoughts of Christianity, any thoughts of Christ, even any thoughts of church. But God, you're sending us with the message of reconciliation. You're sending us to change this world with your hope. God, I pray for the people in this room, those who know you, those who follow you, that God, today, they would be willing to get into that biblical community, to, to use that to strengthen their testimony, be able to go out and share it with others and bring others in. And for those who don't know you, that this whole biblical community thing is completely foreign to them. God, I pray that you're already speaking to their hearts speaking to their minds about how to become connected first and foremost with you but also with your body and for those who have been hurt by the church God I pray they give it a second chance they give the same grace that you first gave us to see who you really are see what your body is really supposed to be about and that God we can work together to change this world we pray it all in your name Amen I'm going to jump down here in the front and I would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is, about what He's done, because He lives, the, the, 
that we can face tomorrow. How's that? Because He le- lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, oh, oh, who holds the future. Life is worth the living just because He lives. I pray that as God is challenging your heart today, I, I know this community thing's hard. I know people online that are watching right now or listening on, on the podcast are like, wait a second, what about me? Get involved in biblical community. Get connected with fellow believers who can sharpen you and you can sharpen them, that you can rely on, that you can trust in, that you can grow together with. That is what gives glory to God. Hey, I am glad you guys are with us today. And I'm glad that you had an opportunity to share in this bit of biblical community. Now I would encourage you to continue to connect, continue to grow together, continue to get involved. We have connection groups for you to get involved in. We have one-on-one opportunities for you to get involved in. Just grow together. Sharpen one another. Lift one another up. Pray for one another. Break bread together. There's football today. Who cares about the games? Go eat together, all right? I mean, if the Packers were in it, then I would say something different. But anyway, you know, that, that's just the way it is. Hey, I want you guys to enjoy your week. Grab one of our bulletins for February. It's got all the information you need, and it also has that QR code back in the back so you can download the app. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you guys back here next week. Later.